Welcome to Outbound, where we talk about strategies and tactics to help people that do business development build deeper relationships with their ideal customers. Today on the show, I have John Salisbury. John, welcome to the show. Can you give me a 30,000 foot overview of who you are and what you're up to? So I'm a proud father. Uh, I'm also a founder and CEO of Nexigen, which is a, uh, a cybersecurity company that was founded actually as a cloud company uh, and now uh, does AI. But I think all companies are AI companies at this point. I also uh, was the founder and CEO and now um, on the board of directors and uh, primary investor for uh, RoboIQ, which is a smart city company. Um, and then also uh, principal for a payroll services group out of Cincinnati called Pay Options. Um, and then we have a, a holding company. So I've, I've got a few little things going and we, we've done an exit um, and a custom software company as well. Awesome. Yeah, John, I'm really excited to have you on because I mean, clearly, you know something about business development and building relationships with people <laughs> with that resume. So um, what is your secret sauce for building relationships with your ideal customers? Honestly, right off the bat, it's complete vulnerability, um, exposing who you are uh, in totality. So a lot of people, I, I talk about a lot, ego a lot. A lot of people are, are trying to force themselves or, or some service or some product into a company I, I sort of take the opposite approach. I, I listen. I get out of my own way. I listen to the customer. I listen and try to find the problem and see where the match is. And then um, I let it come to me, if that makes sense. So we get in the conversation. We get excited about what we have. But then we, we, we listen really, really, really carefully. And then we, uh, we let it come to us. And then we leave with love, in my mind. And, and that's a weird way to say it. But in, in my mind, then you're, you're working from a, a non- self-focused manner and there's a lot of empathy in that conversation um, and if clients know that your 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 focus is on their long-term outcome they trust you because it's trustworthy uh, so i feel like that 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 bakes into the uh the person that's that's delivering the message yeah so it sounds like if i was to summarize what you're saying it's really focusing on the customer <laughs> focusing on what they need and and looking more for their interests than your own. And then that ends up turning into much longer, uh, more trusting relationships than if you're trying to force a short short transactional sale on them. That's right. And and the weird part is, is if you're not doing it directly and you're doing it by proxy. So how do I be the best at that, right? How do I be the best at that process? Well, I work on myself. I work on my discipline. I work on my understanding. I, I do my knowledge uh, gain. I, I, I do it vertically and horizontally. I understand the landscape that I'm interacting with my customer. So I'm doing all these self-improvement techniques. So when I'm managing someone or I'm building out a team, I'm empowering them and encouraging them to do the same thing. So if they show up the best person they can be, right? Um, and then they can deliver uh, a message that's all about the customer. Then we're focusing on both those individuals succeeding. And at that point, I think uh, it ends up in a, in a good situation. Yeah, I... I want to come back to that question at the end, and hopefully I don't <laughs> forget to come back to it because uh, I want to I want to keep rolling and understand your process better. But um, I some of the people who will be listening to the show do manage teams, and I think that part gets to be challenging about like how do you create a culture that is customer centric with incentives and things like that. So let be mulling on that in the back of your mind, but just to kind of give people an understanding of what your process would look like. Um, can you share an example of, of leading 
with, uh, you know, that complete vulnerability and, and love and kind of how, how you do that, what that looks like in practice. It's weird. It's a lot of trust. So a lot of guys want to get contracts in place and just move forward um, with this real regimented process. I'm real feel oriented. So I like to interact with the customer up front. I like to expose a little bit, um, show them that I trust them. Um, and that's a filtration process, right? So you, you find people through that process that you want to interact with and you don't. Um, and then you lean in. So I've had some crazy examples. We had a, a place in Indiana that uh, it, it was a it was a new sale, but uh, the place burnt down. It was a, a courthouse building. I think 250 people were displaced from work and they have to do court like in this in this town in Indiana. So we uh, we we go to the town and we say, hey, we're here to help. And they say, what does that mean? And we said, we're here to help. No, we didn't we didn't actually say we're here to to bill you a bunch and like. We just showed up with people and said, let's dig in and help. So we, we, we went with uh, uh, that first and we ended up being able to put all those people in different locations around the city um, in all sorts of all sorts of manners uh, and all sorts of little nooks and crannies and different offices and wireless shots and, and all these types of things from a technology infrastructure standpoint. And it turned out where it was a good outcome. So everybody, they, they were like, thank you. We actually needed you. And, and, uh, and, and let's set up that later, but let's just get to work now. So uh, that was a situation that worked out. That same place I, uh, I went to and we had to do some, some server work. And I was, I'm an engineer, so I come from an engineering background. And I remember being in the engineering room back in back then and uh, the judge coming in and, and, and saying this server gets up in three or four hours or you don't leave. I'll put you in jail if you're about to leave. That was the situation I was put in. And I was like, is this it's not really a sale, but it, but it kind of was because I'm interacting with the relationship and, and, and working with the groups that are there. Right. So you, you take you welcome what comes to you. So I said listen, I'm going to make this my number one priority. I'll give it all I have. I can't promise anything more than that. I think two hour, an hour and a half later, they're back up and good. And, and that guy's super happy, like boy, pat me on the butt as I leave. Right. Um, but those are types of obstacles you deal with as and you're in a, if you're in dynamic situations um, that are challenging. Another one we had, which I think is super interesting. It's not really a sale. It's more of a build. We created a company out of this. So this is sort of how my mindset works when I see any type of problem. We, we offered a, a nonprofit cybersecurity education program for high schools around Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky. So we'd loan out our engineers to the high schools in the, in the, in the uh, Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati area. And we'd teach them how to build a firewall, how to uh, uh, configure uh, switches, how to do all these kind of network things, because there's a major shortage in cybersecurity. So as we do went through this program, and we, we also taught them defensive techniques and attacking techniques from a hacking standpoint. Um, as these kids were in the school that now, now some of them are doing amazing things, which is great. But as these kids were in the program, like some of the smartest ones, I mean, usually the star running back is not the guy who shows up for this, this, this like cyber defense class, right? It's usually a pretty, pretty super kind of geeky, intelligent kid. Um, and one of the teachers came in is like, our star player is like, not going to show up today. And we're like, why is that? And he's like, well, he's not completing his homework. And we're like, that kid's like the smartest kid I ever met. How's he not completing his homework? Well, that turns out that that kid um, didn't have access to internet at his house. And they had a one-to-one -one program at that school. So there's not a, there, he has a laptop given to him by the school um, and he can't get online to, to complete his coursework. The local businesses don't want him in their local businesses. So that becomes an opportunity to me 
That's a sales opportunity uh, if you look at it the right way. So I said, well, well, how the heck's that? Why the heck's that happening? That's near my office. Like, let's figure out this problem more. So we did a survey to every kid in that school on the, on, with the school doing it on our behalf. And we found out that 33% of the kids didn't have access to internet at home. And they all were one-to-one -one in this new progressive. They all had MacBook Airs that were completely useless for the internet. Um, so once we found out the address structure, we realized that were, there were groups and clumps of, of addresses together. And we realized that that was solvable with, with technology like Wi-Fi. So we could actually make an impact. So we, we did some analysis on a map. We looked at the problem. We looked how to solve it. We realized that we didn't have enough money or resources to do it on our own at Nexogen. So we, we partnered with a, a company locally, Cincinnati Bell, and asked them, could you solve this, this Wi-Fi problem? And um, here's what we think it would take. And we, we sent over all our materials. They said, it's about two million bucks and you have the cash. We said, no, we don't, neither does the city, but what's your ROI? And that's the sales question. What do you want the return on investment to be? And they said, we want 10 years. Once I heard that quick calculation, if I sign up a customer for them at 250 bucks a month, about a hundred customers, that covers their spend and then some, and they're probably satisfied. At that point, I, I, I said, hey, if I get you X amount of customers in X amount of time, will you go ahead forward with this project? They said, yes. So we held a town hall meeting and signed up a ton of businesses for their service in one night. We took no commission, none. We just did it. Um, at that point, the, the city was like completely solved. So they have no digital inequity problems now. All the kids have free internet services. We do a press release. So you do good. You're leading with love, right? A week later, the CIO for like New York City calls me and he's like, hey, I see you solved this problem in, uh, in Northern Kentucky. Can you come up here and solve it up here? City of Los Angeles, CIO. I can't get this guy on the phone if I called him on a, on a cold dial a, a thousand times and sent him a million clever emails. He's not going to answer, right? He called me and said, hey, can you help me out? Well, I realized the problem wasn't actually a technical problem. It was more of a, a funding problem and a self-directed funding problem. Because um, a lot of the funding problems locally happen from federal. So you get these guys at Washington who say, here's the challenges we have in our country. They send it out to the local places for grants. And then that is how the infrastructure is deployed. Where if you put the local lens on it, they actually know what their local problems are because they're closer to it. So you want them to be able to self-direct. So I started a company called RoboIQ, which helped solve that problem. We put out digital kiosks, about eight foot tall iPhones in city streets and around uh, venues around the country. Now we're putting them into medical facilities. They do wayfinding and they're basically virtual ambassadors for the, for the cities or the locations we're at. And then we make money, but we take half of it and we give it to the city. And that becomes self-directed funding. We're plenty healthy. And we give half of it to the city. Now they can take those funds and solve those problems themselves. And there's other groups that are just like me that do the same thing. In New York, it ended up being a group called Link NYC. Um, and there's some other groups that we compete with as well. But uh, RoboIQ is in that space and it came from that place. So that came from a place of love. It took engineering and curiosity and exploration and asking questions and listening and understanding and then delivering a solution for that. So it's kind of a build. It's not just selling the same product every time. And, and, and I think that that speaks to kind of how my mind works. Like you can have relationships with people, take them golfing, take them to golf trips, take them to the island, pay for hotels. That's all good stuff. But at the end of the day, people want to activate and help other people at their core.
So if you can create missions into your programs, you can create community service, you can create good things that you're doing, um, leading with love, they're going to want to participate. And I think that builds a relationship just as much as, as hitting 18 with them on the golf course. Yeah, that is a definitely a different way of going about building relationships with people. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just kind of trying to th- synthesize because that was, that was a, you went a lot of places, but it, it, it really does tell this kind of holistic story of when you're focusing on the pain points and problems that people are experiencing and you're genuinely curious and want to help them solve the biggest pain points that they have. And then you go out and you try to find other ways to solve that problem than what anybody else has thought of before, then yeah, you're building a relationship. And then, you know, not only have you, cause I think, I think one thing that I, I'm personally taking away from that is, um, if you're focusing on just transactionally and trying to solve a problem for somebody, you might help them and they go, Oh, wow. Thanks for solving that problem. Maybe they would recommend you somewhere, you know, to somebody else, uh, you know, and not even all your customers would do that, but maybe, you know, you really help one of them. They were really in a, in a bind with that tactical thing that you did for them. And they're going to go, wow, that was helpful. If somebody else has that tactical problem, they should talk to John. But with what you just described, it's, you're solving a real pain for somebody. That's not, that's not a cybersecurity problem or, you know, an IT problem. It's like, this is this problem for these schools. They're, their kids can't learn and they don't have any way to solve it. They don't have the funding. And they're basically just like, we're screwed. You know, we're doing everything that we can, but there, there's no way that anybody can solve this problem. When you solve that problem for the school, they're going to be like, <laughs> their life has changed. You know, the teachers, the school, the kids. You don't do it alone, right? It takes the group. It's, I always say this thing, like, how do you grow 10,000 arms? Like you get this awesome or 10,000 hands. You get this beautiful idea. And you're like, man, if I could just have 10,000 arms and hands, I could solve all these problems. Well, you can. It's called working together and collaboration. So we got the whole city behind an initiative and they work together on it. We can do it with our client base. We can do it with uh, larger groups, smaller groups online. It's easier than ever now um, to get people to work together to collaborate. And uh, in my mind, that's that's a strong mission-driven relationship strategy that works really well. Um, there's things like the guy who taught me how to sell was a guy named Brendan Scanlon. He's not with us anymore. That man was a beautiful human being. He was the best of us. Um, he taught so many people in the Cincinnati area through this group called the BNI Network Group um, to just give first. So we're all young, 20-year-old entrepreneurs or sales guys coming into these groups. And he'd just go around and be like, hey, you guys want a bunch for yourself. You need to focus on the other way, the give and he would just preach it to us every week, every week. Give, give, give first, give first, give first. Give and don't expect anything in return. Now, it's give or gain philosophy is what it's called. He said, eventually, it'll come back and hit you. Um, and some of them, that, that mentality has really stuck with me. Um, and a lot of people that I know um, take that mentality. But I've seen people that are super successful that just give beyond belief. Um, in fact, I feel like their business is giving. Like, there's a guy I know who just flew 800 people, 400 of his employees, plus all their spouses, rented out an entire freaking island down in like Mexico, all their expense paid for a week, shut down his old company, which has retail associated with it for a week to do this. He throws Christmas parties that are out of control, um, giving away cars and all these other things to his people. 
Um, and he does so much in the community. It's ridiculous. He can't give it away fast enough. He might give away like 10 million bucks this year. Next year, he's like, I'll give away 10 again, right? And next year, he gives away 12 because he thinks that's the case. Well, he should have given away 25. So he's like, well, shoot, I only gave away 25. Next year, I'm going to have to give away 27. And then next year, he gives away 30, right? And he still comes under. It's almost like that strategy works almost all the way through. Like the, you're going to build relationships that way. You're going to surround yourself with good people. You're going to be mission oriented. Um, so I, I literally am trying to be a more prolific giver all the time. And I, I tell my, my, my team to do the same thing. And if there's, if we're selling a widget to whatever, our cybersecurity tool, that's not why they're buying from you. Are you hustling when they need you, you get ears on the ground that they're looking for someone and you call your network and find that awesome resource for them that solves their problem? And then now your tool becomes attractive because you, they know you're going to hustle for anything they need. Uh, we have this thing when someone has a major issue with Nexogen, I call them the president and I say, we become their secret service. And I say, all they have to do is whisper and we will show up and surround them and protect them and do anything they need instantly. We do that for our, 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 our customers when they're having serious problems and we act as a team and coordinate and go towards them. But our, 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 our client facing force, our sales teams, the, how that kicks off sometimes. They'll call them directly on the bat phone, right? Hey, I need something now. And it's this big issue. And we just activate and, uh, and take that as, as seriously as possible. Okay. So I want to take what you're talking about here because I know that somebody listening to the show is going to go, okay, but this guy's the CEO of the company, my CEO isn't like this guy. He's not going to let me, you know, give away tons of stuff to my clients and, you know, and whatnot. So, you know, one answer is we'll go work for John and you know, <laughs> that solves your problem. <laughs> but, you know, if they're not in a position where they could just quit their job and, or, you know, they like the company, but they don't have that same mindset, how can, how could somebody as an individual contributor apply some of what you're talking about? You know, they're, they're in their twenties or or thirties and they're trying to break out into their sales career. How do they apply the same concept? The guy who helped me do the town hall meeting at the, uh, um, to get all his Wi-Fi setups developed 160 new relationships, ended up converting that into a tremendous amount of business and became a co-founder with me in that smart city company. So he was on my service desk, jumped to engineering, jumped to sales, and then became a co-founder with me. Right. Um, how do you do that? You take initiative. You, you, you're not, you're fearless. So what I, that scenario I said with a cybersecurity tool, like you're, you're going out and you're selling someone an EDR platform or a SIM platform or a or software solutions service. If you're just focused on that, that's great. And you're keeping the customer's attention on that. And you have activity towards that and you're keeping all the attention. That's great. And that's fine. And that works. But if you're listening to that customer, well, he's not just talking about that. He's talking about the problems he's having at home. He's talking about the problems. He's human, just like you and me. He might be depressed. He might be on his couch watching Netflix at night suffering, right? If you listen closely, you get some of these tangible things. He might be having a major problem in his operations department you don't know about, right? And if you listen closely, he might tell you, and you might have a friend who can help him in that exact situation or another yeah. resource or a partner group. And now you're filling gaps in his organizations and, and entrenching yourself as a person of value and knowledge and helpfulness. Like when I get up in the morning, I personally say it. I'm like, how can I be helpful today? I mean, that's an intrinsic quality we want to have, right? So I try to instill that same thing in the people I work with. And I feel like you can do that. You can sell widgets and also be helpful in other ways. And you'll probably sell widgets 10 times better. Like you're just going to be more helpful in general. And 
Now, is there a way that you're you're just focusing on the things that aren't making your money? Yeah, and that's that's a problem. <laughs> you don't want to do that, right? So it needs to be a balance, and that's what everything is. And there's no, I don't feel like I feel like people try to break that down into like segments, like X, Y, Z. You do this seven times, you do this six times, you do. It's different for everybody. Everybody's got a way that they bring that into their life and they interact with people in that way. And when they do, they, they figure out the balance that works for them. I mean, some people want to make half a million dollars, million dollars a year. Some people are totally fine at 100, 150 and, and they want to give more and that balance for them is fine. And the owner might want them to be that guy that wants to make a million bucks, but that, that's okay if they're not. Like it, it, maybe they're not right for that position. Maybe they're in a, a different position. Um, a lot of people want to incentivize people with money and say, hey, here's another 50 grand or here's another 20 grand if you accomplish this goal. Money to me is not real. I say this as well. It's it's a it's proof of it's proof of value. It's proof of something occurring. So let's mm -hmm. say I'm a CEO and I'm trying to get my organization more into AI. And I say, hey, next year I'm gonna take 10% of our annual research and development budget and put it towards that. So that's 10 million bucks. Well, the 10 million bucks exist, but I'm proving if they don't spend the 10 million bucks that they didn't go out and explore and put activity to learning in that direction. So it's mm -hmm. almost proof of work from an accounting standpoint. Hey, my team did work on those things and they're proving it to me. And I can tell by the receipts that they're putting in, right? Same thing with sales. You put the incentive in, that's more proof of the activity you want to happen. Um, but the, the person that's selling has to believe in the product. They got to believe in you because uh, you better show up too, right? If you're, if you're off gone uh, and they're working for uh, a lost leader, probably not going to be as inspired. Uh, if you're not, if you're not eating what you're serving, um, and, and all those just standard basic principles, I think matter. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of ties then into this next question I wanted to come back to, which is how do you, um, well, okay, actually I do want to say something about what you just said, because one thing that I I'm learning about the people who are the most successful at sales and professional services, they have that same attitude. They might call it something different, but the main idea is like, you're a connector. And the more that you're networking with people, not just to make a sale, but to truly help people. And then, the, you know, then as you network, you start finding people who are really good at delivering something. And then you run into people who really need that. And then you make those connections. And sometimes it's making a connection to your company and, you know, somebody in a different department or a different, uh, you know, a different group in your company. Sometimes it's just, you know, hey, I talked to somebody yesterday that does exactly that same thing or, you know. You, you, yeah, you're, you're running into a cybersecurity problem and you've, you know, you've really had some challenges, man, you got to talk to John, you know, and then you make that connection. And if you're doing that, if you're talking to people every day and then you're making those connections every day, um, yeah, people, people want to work with you then, you know, they're. And the higher you go up in that network. So once you're talking to CEOs and CIOs, if you're trying to sell them, they're not going to talk to you. Yeah. It's your, if you're like, Hey, I can get you to do this or I can manipulate you to do that. No, not interested in talking to you. Um, the higher you go up there, the ego becomes, you have to get it smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. They see it immediately. They see you trying to enforce your will. Um, and, and they don't like that. So you, you, you treat them just like any other, any other human. How are you doing? How are your kids? How, how's your yeah. wife? How's your, how's your family? Um, these things matter as much, no matter 
what level. Well, yeah. And sometimes like you could be in a negotiation situation where you could force their hand to kind of have to work with you because you've gone far enough in the deal or whatever, but they're not going to want to work with you again. <laughs> you might get that contract, but it's not going to be a long-term successful relationship, especially not one where they go out of their way to try to find an opportunity for you down the road. Whereas if you've treated them kindly and with care, they're going to, if an opportunity comes up, that's a good fit. They're going to pass it to you and, you know, not try to get a cut and not try to do all this stuff necessarily. I mean, sometimes, but they're going to just be wanting to be kind back to you if you've done that to them. That's right. They should. And if they don't, then you filter them out. That's part of the process, right? And then uh, uh, as you get bigger and you're dealing with like corporations that are ginormous or, or just crazy PE money, these groups are going to be more numbers focused. So if you're not like that, if you're able to do some of these I'm talking about, you have a huge advantage over all this group. You can work nimbly. You can think vertically and horizontally. You're working with kindness. It's not about the almighty dollar at all freaking times. Um, and you're going to just crush these guys. So in my mind, as PE is coming to this market, we're doing better than we ever have um, because we're keeping our, our core values that way and our people work that way. We hold our culture that way and we're, we're crushing it. I think the market's going down. We're going up faster than ever before. Um, and Yeah. So I want to tie, tie back then into that question. I was just about to ask you. <laughs> I've brought it up three times is you said that you, you know, operate more by feel and a lot of the things that you're talking about are, are their soft skills, right there. And it's personal development. This isn't something where you go, okay, we're going to set up uh, an accountability system where everybody has to hit certain number of dials every day. And if you don't hit that, then you're fired. Uh, and I'm not saying, I don't know what your accountability looks like. So you might have some accountability things in place. We got some of that too, right? It's, yeah. Uh, so I got, a, I got one of our, um, our, our director of sales. I hire people that are strong where I'm weaker. So I, I run more feel. My business partner is more numbers oriented. And then, uh, my sales director has activity plans that we put in place. I mean, you shouldn't have to to need to micromanage someone to uh, to to activity plans if they're just high activity in general. So at some point, you you measure their numbers, but you you understand that they're just so far exceeding them it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, right? It's a hiring. <laughs> a and then, hiring and it's like, do I want to challenge this guy to do twice as much as that? Now you have a choice, right? Do, can he go farther than that? And you may, you may want to push them. There's times when you're a coach, you want to push somebody and yeah. say, hey, you can actually go even farther and push yourself farther. If it's healthy, right? It's got to be, it's got to come down to healthy. It's got to be good for that person. Because um, you can push people too far as well. And then you get into burnout yeah. and all that stuff. So, so totally. we, have a, we have an activity plan that we think is healthy. Um, and uh, some, most of our people will exceed that activity plan. Um, and it's not something that we have to like, Hey, you didn't make this call on this day, but you do yeah. have visibility on it and you do um, run reviews on it and you do hold people accountable if they do miss. Um, and and it's, it, you do that as best as you can as well. Managing these things in a positive way is, is, is an art form. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like, uh, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yeah. So, so you have those pieces in place, but then you kind of have this mentality of giving. So how do you... Hold on, my uh, two-year-old's running around. I don't know if you could hear coming through in the background. Um, the, you have these activity plans that you have in place. So, you know, that's kind of the typical sales piece and adding accountability and all that. But how do you instill that go-giver mindset? You know, how do you, how do you instill that into your sales team? Like, how are you imparting that or, or coaching towards that? Or how do you get that built into your coach, your culture of your business development or sales folks? 
I don't think you can force that on people. Um, one is you, you, you look for that in your interviewing process. And then two, you model the behavior for them. Um, once you start forcing things on people, it's, it's now a job. It's now work. It's now I have to, it's now I need to, it's now I'm required to, I'm trying to get them in their own mind to say in the morning, I get to, if they wake up in the morning and say, I get to go to work, I get to interact with clients. I get to have fun today and interacting with my, my work. I get to hang out with my boss. Um, these are things that I, I'm looking for them to say to themselves. Uh, that's how I try to do it. And I do that through modeling and, and trying to be a better person myself. And then uh, and showing that um, publicly and privately. So um, that's how I do it, I guess. Um, now, can you systemically do that into some system where you're like persuading them to, to do that? Yeah, I'm sure you can, but that's, uh, that's not how I've done it so far. Now, my, my, my managers that work underneath me, they have little tricks and mechanisms they do um, to kind of like uh, 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 guide things in certain directions. But my direction to them is what I just told you. All right. So I want to leave people with something ultra practical because you have shared a lot and some of it's more like... Um theoretical that and mindset and those things usually take a lot of time to hear them over and over again and see them lived out by example to really change in that. And then some of the things are, are a little bit more practical, but if somebody, uh, it's gonna, I was going to say tomorrow, but we're recording this on Friday. So, <laughs> but if somebody wakes up on Monday morning and they hear this episode and they go, man, I want to be more like John in my approach to business development and networking and relationships. What is one thing that they could start implementing uh, as part of, I don't know, their morning routine or, you know, what's something that they could start working towards that's going to build into that mindset? For me, my big change in my life was when I realized that I needed to really work on myself. The only project I had in this world was myself. Um, it is your kids too, but you're trying to get them to do the same thing to work on themselves. So when I made that my project and that became um, my game, then exercise became important. Diet became important. Meditation and prayer became important. Getting time with ones that cared that I cared about most became important. Um, my clients became more important. My team members became more important. Um, and then how I interacted with them and treated them became more important. So everybody's got their own way to go along that journey. Uh, and they all have self-exploration. The cool part about the world is today is there's so many smart people that just give away information at no cost. Uh, Andrew Huberman, he's literally set up a whole podcast that's just absolutely dominating the internet with just plethora of, 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 of knowledge that you can just go gather. Um, same thing with so many others, Lex Friedman and on and on and on. Um, so go learn, go listen, and, uh, and then go find out how to be the best person you are. Then realize the world is a freaking amazing place that we get to freaking partake, partake in. And then show it how amazing it is every day when you get out of bed. Awesome. I don't have anything to add to that. That was a great <laughs> uh, finish there. So, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate it.